I don't know if you're paying attention. I don't have to preach. I'm gonna, but I don't have to. And we started already this morning with the gospel, didn't we? Our God saves, and because our God saves, he reached down when we were unlovable and loved us. And what Jesus accomplished on the cross for us finished everything that needed to be done. It is completely done. And he proved it that moment when the lady showed up at the tomb and it was empty. And in that moment, I assure you that Satan shook. So if you're here this morning and that was just an emotional high for you, let me encourage you with this. Jesus loves you. And he died for you. And this morning, as a church family, as we mourn the homegoing of one of our own, we do it with hope. Because Jesus makes that kind of difference. He can take something like death, turn it on his head. Do you know him? Father God, I pray that in this moment and in this place, that if there is somebody here who doesn't know Jesus Christ, that even they would forget even the message, that Father, instead, they would simply just walk out to the lobby and grab somebody and say, I need to know Jesus. God, I pray that right now, as they are faced with the reality that they have to answer the question, what will you do with Jesus? I pray right now their answer would be, I want him. I want him to be my savior. I want him to cover my sins. I want him to make that difference in my life. So God, I pray, I pray that somebody here this morning would do just that. I thank you for Jesus. God, I say that every time I pray, I think. And I think, honestly, I need to repent. Because many times I say it, and I say it in vain. Because it's just something I say. It hasn't registered in my head. God, I thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the difference he's made in my life. As far away from you as I was and how fast I was running there, that he was willing to take my place on that cross. Thank you for Jesus. Now, Lord, as we look at your word this morning, I pray we would be filled with hope. I pray, Father, that we would be encouraged by what we find. And, Lord, that you would create in us the ability to believe, to have faith when it's difficult. And I ask these things in your name, knowing that it's possible. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Ecclesiastes. If you have your Bible, go ahead and go to Ecclesiastes. Oh. If I was brave enough, I would just pray and call it a day, but, but I'm not that brave. I'm sorry for you. <laughs> um, Ecclesiastes, we're continuing in our series there. I want to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Why don't you turn there? And let me begin reading. It says this. For everything, there is a season. A time for every matter under heaven. A time to give birth, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build. Okay, I'm going to stop now, because half of you are singing. 
So I thought I would help you out. They're not very creative with their lyrics. They just keep going, watch. So I figured I'd let the birds read scripture for us this morning. Uh, and now I've got that planted in your mind so you can't forget it for the rest of the day. Um, I'm not sure why they chose to do that song other than they wrote it during the middle of the, the Vietnam era and what they were trying to get to. The very end of the song, the only real addition they made to the, this passage besides switching around some of the phrases is at the end they say something about a time to a time for war and a time for peace, and they end it. The only addition they make is, I swear it's not too late. And the idea being to bring peace versus war. So uh, it's just fascinating. They took that straight out of Ecclesiastes 3. So let me, let, me, let me read it for real now. So I won't sing it for you. But now you're going to be singing it all day. So you're welcome. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. Again, for everything there is a season. And a time for every purpose under heaven. A time to give birth, time to die. Time to plant, time to uproot. Time to kill, a time to heal. A time to tear down, and a time to build. A time to weep, a time to laugh. Time to mourn, time to dance. A time to throw stones, and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace, and a time to avoid embracing. Time to search, time to count as lost. Time to keep, time to throw away. Time to tear, time to sow. A time to be silent, time to speak. Time to love, time to hate. Time for war, time for peace. Stop there. So Solomon begins his reflection on life, but he starts with a very specific thing in verse 1. There is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven. What he's telling us is, as you look at all of these things that happen, God assigns all of these times. So, so let, me, let me just point out a little nuance here for you. Last week in chapter 1, verse 3, we talked about how Solomon was looking at life under the sun. And we said that the, the life under the sun was marked by toil and futility. A picture um, hearkening back to Genesis chapter 3. We're talking about the fall. And, and, and then from that point on, what was going to happen is there would be toil and futility as a result of the fall, apart from God. However, this isn't talking about under the sun. He says these things, there's a time for every activity. There is a, a time for every matter under heaven. This is a different perspective than under the sun, the perspective of under heaven is factoring in God's sovereign rule over everything. Under heaven is the, the world being watched over, being planned, even being ordered by God himself. So Solomon says there's a, a purpose and a time for all of these things that happen under heaven. All of these things are, are, are happening according to God's plan, according to his order, as he watches over these things. And he says there is an appropriate time for everything. And that list that he gives in verses 2 through 8 aren't meant to be a total list. They're meant to represent totality. There isn't anything that happens under heaven in our lives that shouldn't fit within this list. 
For everything, there is a purpose. For everything, there is a reason. For everything, there is an appropriate time. That includes, as you read through this list, that includes the things you don't want. Those are things that are going to cause you to mourn. Things that will cause you to weep. Things that will bring hatred in your heart. Some of the things that you fear. Some of the things you hope you never have to talk about. That's in this list. But included in this list also are some of life's most beautiful moments. Those moments that we could actually never reproduce but we got to experience. The things we would never exchange for any amount of, moment, any amount of money, for, for any reason at all. We would love to hold on to those memories, those, those, those moments, those times, those experiences. Those are all in here as well. The times that we get to laugh. The times that we get to dance. The times that we get to embrace. And my wife and I make jokes because I'm the embrace and she is the stiff arm person so she really appreciates the time to refrain from embracing so if you try to give her a hug she may quote that at you this morning this is a time to refrain from embracing but 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 in this in this this list we, we, we look at this list sometimes like a menu I'll take a little laughter today a little up to throw throw a side of scattering stones just because I feel like building today, so maybe I'll, maybe I'll build things up. Maybe I'll sow something. Today I'd like to speak, so let me speak. And we look at it as a menu, and then we say, but, but hold the morning, please. Hold the war. Hold the time to kill. And honestly, I'm a little tired, so let's hold the harvest. Certainly, let's hold death. But this isn't a menu. This is an observation that tells us all of these things, at one point or another, will be ours. But not by mistake. He says God assigns these times, and God's timing is absolutely perfect. In verse 9, what, what does the worker gain from his struggles? I've seen the task that God has given the children of Adam just to keep them occupied. Solomon's perspective at this moment is it seems like we, we're just spinning our wheels. And what are, we, what are we working for anyway? What are we actually accomplishing? We're just going over and over and over again. And, and nothing of value is actually coming out of what we're doing. We're, we're just doing all these things, doing all these things. And then verse 11, he says, he has made, God has made everything beautiful in its time. He's put eternity in their hearts, but no one can discover the work of God that God has done from beginning to end. All of these things, even though it seems like we're just spinning and spinning, it makes no sense. It's all futility. It's all futility. It's meaningless. It's, it's a waste. It's pointless. It's vanity of vanities. Even though he says, no, no, no. God has assigned all of these things, and they are beautiful. So when God says these things are beautiful, what does he mean? Does he mean they're attractive? <laughs> nope. Not in the least. When he says these things are beautiful, it can be uh, translated as right or appropriate. It can be translated as excellent or perfect. So, so, so if you're a chef, that thing is just 
the right amount of the ingredient at just the right time and just the right temperature. If you're an artist, it's the, the stroke of a pen in exactly the right place. It's, it's the, 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 the fading and the shading of the brush as you're trying to do the artwork. It's, it's beautiful, wonderful. It's, it's perfection in placement for the artist. It's, it's, it's precision in the addition for the chef. It's, it's all, but, but, but... Beautiful does not mean attractive. Let me, maybe, maybe a picture will help. Anybody recognize that? That's jello. How many of you like jello? Raise your hand. I'm about to ruin your day. Jello. Yummy. As it's all put together. But, but do you know what jello is made out of? thing called collagen, collagen, which is made by, I'll read the quote, boiling the feet, bones, skin, connective tissue, and organs of various animals, usually cows, but sometimes pigs, lambs, and others. So every time you sit down to enjoy a nice bowl of jello, just remember that started off as a cow's foot. I mean, wait, wait, who's looking at collagen and saying, ooh, yummy, throw some whipped cream on that and we'll call it a day. But the end product, different picture, isn't it? The collagen is beautiful in its end product. No wasted ingredients. No mistake as drawn as an artist. So, so I don't know about you, I am not an artist, not in any way, shape, or form. Um, I can't paint a wall, forget, draw a picture. If I was to do art, it would look more like this. That's kind of my style, it's kind of my skill level, as is, as is this one here. That's, that's kind of, if I was to do art, I would do art like a two-year-old, which these drawings are from a two-year-old. Now what's interesting is, we look at that and we're like, that is not beautiful. And yet this two-year-old's mama looked at this and said, that is something. And what that two-year-old mama did is a little bit different than most two-year-old's mama. Most, most two-year-old's mamas would take that picture and hang it up on the refrigerator. But this two-year-old's mom sat down and said, no, there's artwork there. Let me finish it. This beautiful elephant comes from that. Or, or, or this one that I showed you as well. Mom looked at that one and said, oh, that is a masterpiece. See, there is no stroke of the pen that is thrown away. It doesn't look beautiful on the onset, does it? And yet when it comes to its completion, when it comes to its end product, That's what he means when all of these seasons, all of these things have been made beautiful in their time. That is the declaration of God himself. There is not one moment in time that has ever been wasted. 
that was ever a mistake. Isaiah 46 says this, remember this and be brave. Take it to heart, you transgressors. Remember what happened long ago, for I am God. There is no other. I am God, and no one is like me. I am the one that declares the end from the beginning, and from long ago what is not yet done. I say my plan will take place, and I will do all of my will. Now, that, that perfection isn't immediately obvious to us. <laughs> it may be blurred uh, as God is creating his masterpiece, as his workmanship is coming to completion and that final product is being made in his artistry. But because it's not immediately obvious to us what he's doing, and, and it's not even just that, that what he's doing isn't obvious to us, I think, I think it's much less obvious that what he's doing is actually beautiful and perfect. It means we need to live by faith. We need to understand that God's timing is perfect. He's to be trusted. So why is it so difficult to, to trust in such a big, good God in these difficult moments? I, I think the, the, uh, Solomon tells us this in verse 11. He's made everything beautiful in its time. And he continues, he has also put eternity in their hearts. But no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. It's so difficult because as created in God's image, we're eternal creatures who have eternal desires, and yet we have time-limited abilities. So, so here's another picture for you. It's, it's, I still remember the first time this happened. When, when your kids decide they're going to come alongside you and assist you in a project, because you know how efficient that makes you. And I was changing windshield wipers on a car, and Jordan was just a, a little dude, and he came out, he's like, Dad, I'm going to help you. I'm like, oh, okay. So a job that should take, what, five minutes, took us over an hour, because he was convinced he was helping me. And when all was said and done, that little man's chest puffed huge, and he came in, and he declared to Stephanie, I changed the windshield wipers. I'm like, you are such a man. But, but I think that desire that was in him, do that. Be a part of that. To accomplish that is a picture that we can apply to ourselves. We have such eternal desires in us, but such time-limited abilities. We, 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 we so want to understand the end from the beginning. We still want to, to understand everything and comprehend the whole process, but our little paws and our tiny brains get in the way. I need to be able to get this, God. I need to understand this from the end to the beginning. I need to be able to, to comprehend what this is. I need to understand how your, your, your goodness works in this. And, and we can't comprehend the end from the beginning. We can't comprehend how God's goodness transcends all of the seasons that we find ourselves in. Because, again, as Isaiah tells us in chapter 55, God says, my thoughts aren't your thoughts. Your ways aren't my ways. This is the Lord's declaration for as heaven is higher than earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. All right, so let me shoot straight for a second. You read that verse? It's an awesome verse, isn't it? 
you, you hear the mighty, omnipotent, omniscient, eternal God speaking and saying, my thoughts are way up and yours are down here. My ways are way up and yours are way down here. I mean, that, that is an encouraging scripture to know that we serve a God that is so much greater than we are, whose, whose understanding is unlimited and eternal. And, and it's verses like these, truths like these, that should lead us to have faith. It's verses like these that, that bring us to the place where we sing such amazing songs in worship. It's verses like these that cause us to bow the knee and yield to him as we, we declare ourselves his. And he declares us his own. But there's a problem. My fear is that This, leading you to worship, can, in some situations, bring you to nothing but superficial faith. A faith that gets applied in some significantly flawed ways. A faith that's only enough to say this. God is there, and he is so big, so strong, so mighty, there's nothing my God can't do to make sure I'm comfortable and like all of his ways. Isn't that how we often read and apply this? That's not faith. And if that's a perspective that you have on God then it will lead you to times of frustration, hurt, anger, and bitterness. Faith is trusting God even in the middle of heartbreak. The frustration of your life. Faith is knowing that even in the middle of all of this, and you can fill in the blank as to what this is, God's here. Nothing has happened that surprises him. Faith is what you read about in the book of Habakkuk. I know, you, you all read there regularly. <laughs> the book of Habakkuk where this, this prophet cries out to God and says, God, why aren't you listening? Where are you? Can't you see the torment and the pain that we're going through? Can't you see the anguish in our souls? Can't you see how this group of people are just tearing us apart? Where are you? And God says, I'm right here. I got you. My answer to your angst is to send in a bigger army to wipe you out. Habakkuk, I'll translate it in my own vernacular, says to God, you are God, you're almighty. Are you nuts? Are you crazy? Do you know who those people are in that army? Do you know what they're going to do to us? There is a viciousness that comes from them that has never been seen in the world before, and yet you're going to march them in here to do that to us? What are you thinking? God, what are you thinking? God's response, patient and wonderful. I think I'm God, Habakkuk. And I got you. 
Okay, Habakkuk. The just will live by faith. As you trust me in the middle of this storm, that's faith. Solomon mentions two specific storms that we'll experience. I just want to touch on them real quick. We're starting in verse 16. Verse 16, he says this, I also observed under the sun that there is a wickedness at the place of judgment, and there is a wickedness at the place of righteousness. I said to myself, God will judge the righteous and the wicked since there's time for every activity and every work. One of the senses of frustration that settled in for Solomon is he he said he looked around at the places where righteousness should be happening and, 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 and justice should be happening and both of those things were missing. So things were entirely unfair. And so the heart's cry when you get treated unfairly is, why? Well, what is this? When are you going to make this right? So when unfairness comes, it can cause us to have difficulty in in trusting that God is to be trusted. It says in verse 18, I said to myself, this happens so that God may test the children of Adam and they may see for themselves that they're just like animals. The fate of the children of Adam and the fate of animals is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. I mean, people don't even have an advantage over animals since everything is futile. All are just going to the same place. All come from dust and all return to dust. One of the senses of frustration in these moments can come when you wrestle with death. But what Solomon is saying and has said is, listen, death comes to all. Young, old, rich, poor, wise, foolish. Death comes to all. But because we lack that ability to understand eternal thoughts and are so limited with time and scope and sequence, all we do is we cry out to God again when death happens, this isn't fair. Um, any of you ever said that to God? Don't lie. I have. I have quite a bit. But the answer in those moments is to be reminded that God's timing is perfect. And he's to be trusted. Please, do not hear me saying, just grab your Bible... Hold it to your chest and quote Romans 8.28. All things are good to those who... Faith isn't saying, well, praise God, for his ways are above my ways and his thoughts are above my thoughts. And there he is in his heavens doing as he pleases. (laughs) Praise the Lord. That ain't faith. Those are accurate and theologically true statements. Not faith, though. That's just reading a textbook. You're saying true things, but that's not faith. Faith is believing that everything we see, everything we experience, 
everything we have seen, everything we have experienced, everything we will see, everything we will experience has passed through the sovereign hands of God. And as he has allowed them in our lives, he has viewed them as beautiful. Remember, not attractive. Perfect. Appropriate. And he can be trusted, no matter how dark or how difficult the time. And the reason he can be trusted is not because God is there above the heavens doing as he wishes. The reason he can be trusted is because Emmanuel, he is here, God with us. I'm going to say something that I haven't said but once at Uniontown Bible Church. Turn to the book of Revelation. Because nothing brings brings clarity to confusing situations like the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 6. Jumping right into the middle of the chaos and confusion. and, And rightly so. I mean, Revelation is a chaotic book. It's a picture of things that are happening that the Apostle John is both experiencing and seeing in the future. So he is, he is reporting to us the things that he is observing. And, and here, I mean, you, you have all kinds of pictures, all kinds of things occurring, and there's all kinds of debate all over the map as to how to interpret these things. I want to get to Revelation chapter 6, and I want to start in verse 9. Because what I want you to see is I want you to see that in the middle of the chaos, God is still in control. Not a single one of us could read up to Revelation 6, 9 and think, wow, this seems like things are neat and in order right now. Every single one of us would read this and think chaos and confusion and frustration and questions and, and just all of this is insane. You get to Revelation 6, 9 and it says this, when he opened the fifth seal, I am not about to try to explain all of that, okay? When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar... The souls of those who had been slaughtered because of the word of God, the testimony they'd given. Now, now just point a couple quick things out for you. In the Old Testament, in the temple where the altar was, they would bring their sacrifices and they would slaughter their animals. The place the blood of those animals collected was under the altar of God. Fast forward, now here's John looking at that very same altar, and underneath the altar, what he sees are those men and women who have been slaughtered. They have been slaughtered because of their faithfulness to the word of God and their faithfulness in their testimony. Verse 10. They cried out with a loud voice, Lord, the one who is holy and true, how long until you judge those who live on the earth and avenge our blood? So so please, I think the very real danger of, of reading that text and hearing the voices of those people under the altar, and you hear them say, how long? I think the real danger is us thinking our kids in the back seat of the car. 
How long? We almost there yet? Two minutes later. How long? Parents, that's why you enact the rule that we enacted, which is every kid can ask that once. And then if they want to Jacob and Esau this thing and barter their ask for something else, like, I'll give you a candy bar if you let me ask mom and dad how long. It's all good. It's good business practice in the back of your car, okay? The real danger is hearing those voices under the altar talking like a kid in your back seat, but that's not them. These people under the altar have been slaughtered, and what they're doing is they're saying, God, we have been murdered for you. When will you take vengeance on them? When will you hear our cause? When will you step up to the plate and defend our honor? We live faithfully for you. When? How long? How long? Verse 11. Don't get so much of an answer. Get an action to start this thing off. So, they were each given a white robe. They were told to rest a little while longer until the number would be completed of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters who were going to be killed just as they had been. God, how long? When? When do we see our day? When do we get to see this, this judgment meted out? Be severe. Avenge our blood. Eye for an eye. And God comes to them, and the first thing he does is he hands them a white robe. What? The white robe given to each one of those people is a picture of their future and final glory. What God does, he hands them that white robe and he gives them the reassurance that they are his and that they will be with him for all of eternity. How long? God's answer is, hey, hey, you're mine. Then he continues. Not only does he give them a white robe, but then he tells them to rest for a little while. He, he says, you're mine. Here's, here's the robe. And then he says, okay, rest. And then you, you can picture that. They're just screaming out and calling out for judgment. They're calling out for, for the, 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 the crimes against them to be avenged. Then their, their cries are going to be answered. And God finally says, looks at him and says, shh, 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 shh. Rest. For a little bit. Then he says something about, there's still more. Your brothers, your sisters, your fellow servants. There's still more who will be slaughtered for the word of God and for the testimony they kept. But don't you worry, because I know when the end comes. I've got this. It 
what's being said to those souls under the altar is their death was not an accident, it was an appointment. And even in the deaths of God's people, God still is in control and he still can be trusted. Now friends, let me tell you, if, if God, if his timing is perfect in the midst of one of the most confusing and devastating times of world history, God's timing is perfect now. Because you're his. Washed in the blood of the Lamb. What he wants for you is to shh, rest for a little while. Because he's got you. His timing is perfect. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a second? I'm this morning, I want to do something just a little different before I close in prayer. I want to just give you a, a couple of moments just in silence to reflect, to read, pray, to ask God what the next steps are that you should take in trusting him in the midst of difficult times. God, I thank you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you gave us your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your care for us, your concern for us. Thank you for your presence with us. Father, no matter how dark it might feel and how, how few answers we actually have, that we can trust you. That we can cry out with the saints from hundreds, hundreds of years that you're good, that you're faithful, that your faithfulness isn't just for a moment endures forever. So God, help each one of us. Help each one of us to have the faith that we just don't have. Trust you in the darkest times. And to know that because you're with us, we're going to be okay. For it's in Jesus' good Perfect name, I pray.